0: All right. Uh, I had Patty read uh, verses 1 through 4 because up until Friday of this week, I planned on covering all those verses today. But as I went through the message, uh, I felt I needed to expand on some things in the first verse. So today we'll be covering verse 1 of chapter 2, and then next week, hopefully, uh, we'll finish verses 2 through 4. I mean, last week we got like 11 verses, right? So that was, that was amazing. So I felt like the average was getting out of whack, so we needed to go tone it down a little bit. Uh, now, if you've been with us for the first three messages covering chapter 1, you know that the letter begins, chapter 1, with a glorious description of the supremacy of Christ. The author makes it clear, Christ is greater than the prophets, Christ is greater than angels. In fact, he shows that Christ is superior in all ways to everyone and everything. And the reason he proclaims the superiority of Christ, first, it's true, and second, is because his readers, uh, first century uh, Jewish Christians, are experiencing pressure from both Rome and their fellow Jews to reject Christ and return to Judaism. And so chapter 1, in chapter 1, the implication is, do not turn away from Christ for anything because he's superior to everything. Then beginning in chapter 2, the author explicitly addresses the issues facing his readers. That of giving into pressure... Of their uh, the pressure of their culture and rejecting or forsaking Christ, but he doesn't use the word forsake. He doesn't use the word reject. He doesn't use the stop believing. instead, he uses a much more subtle term uh, to drift away. And that takes us to our first point, the risk of drifting away. Verse one, chapter two, therefore, and the therefore refers to what the author as written in chapter one, therefore, because of Christ's superiority over all, because he is worthy of our lives, because Christ is greater than everything, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift drift away from it. So, what's the risk? What does it mean to drift away? The Greek word translated uh, drift away is a nautical term, one word, parario. It literally describes a ship at sea that's drifted off course, or a, a ship in the dock uh, in the harbor, if you will, that comes loose from its mooring and begins to drift out to sea. Parario is also used figuratively to describe something that slips from our minds. Anybody experienced that? Uh-huh, okay or even a a ring that slips off your finger. That is impossible with my wedding ring because since I got it, I think I've doubled in weight. Uh, One of the keys of this word, paro is that drifting can be very gradual. And while it's happening, the changes that take place can go unnoticed, but eventually its negative consequences become clear. So Hebrews warns against this gradual drifting away. But drifting away from what specifically? From what we, the the verse says, what they, uh, these are the first century Jewish Christians, have heard. Notice it's not from Jesus. uh, That would be the result. It begins with drifting away from what they've heard, the message they've heard. And so uh, what is that message? Well, the context from chapter 1 and then these first four verses uh, make it pretty clear. They've heard the truth of Christ's superiority over the prophets, over the angels, over all things. They've heard the truth of who Jesus was, who He is, and what He's done to bring, as verse 3 calls it, a great salvation. They've heard, as verse 3 and 4 tell us, the truth declared by Christ and attested to by the apostles. Bottom line, they've heard the word of God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's this truth, this gospel, that they are and we are at risk of drifting away from. Drifting away was a problem in the first century, and it continues to be a problem today. It seems wherever I turn, I hear stories of people who've, in one way or another, drifted away from the true gospel. Maybe some who are listening to this message have have already started that drift. Maybe you've drifted from the true gospel into something else, something more uh, culturally acceptable. Maybe you've drifted to a different Jesus, uh, a Jesus who doesn't judge, one who's only loving and accepting Accepts all peoples, accepts all ways of life. One who doesn't make any demands on your thoughts or your behavior, but just loves you unconditionally for who you are. One who would never say such things as, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me daily. But he did say that, and many other similar things. And everything Christ said and did is the message that they had heard. Now, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that this message, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, must not be drifted away from. You can't define your own Jesus. What's that song, My Own Personal Jesus? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. It, Jesus is who he is. He's not what you believe he is. He's not or never has been an angel. We saw that last week. He is the divine son of God. The one who saves from sin, he purifies from sin, and he brings eternal life. We need to understand that that what we've heard or read in the Word of God, what we profess to believe to be true about Jesus, is the most important thing in our lives. It's this that determines our eternity. In John 3.18, Jesus tells us how important it is that we stay anchored to the true gospel. Speaking of the Son sent by God into the world to bring salvation, he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the heart of the gospel. It is through faith, belief, trusting in the name. Not just knowing the name. The name signifies the nature, who Jesus truly is. The nature of the Son of God, who He is, what He did, as recorded in the Gospel, the Scriptures, the Word of God. That's how we're saved from our sin. That's how we escape eternal condemnation. We must not drift away from this glorious Gospel. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary on this passage, writes, The truth and teaching of the Gospel must not be held lightly. They are of supreme moment. They are matters of life and death and must be cherished and obeyed at all costs. The danger of drifting away from them and so losing them cannot be treated too gravely. So the risk is drifting away. Drifting away from what we've heard. From the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, why does the author choose to speak in terms of drifting away? Uh, What does it mean? And what does it look like to drift away? Well, let me illustrate it this, this way. When I was much younger and fitter and had long flowing golden blonde hair, believe it or not, I would often head down to the beach for some boogie boarding. Never got the courage to surf, but I got the boogie board. I'd put my towel on the sand, paddle out past the surf, and wait for a good wave to ride. And the thing that happened when I just floated on my board, especially if I wasn't paying attention, is that I would drift with the current. And if the current was strong, I would drift pretty far. So when a, when a, when a wave came and I rode it in, I would be some distance from where I originally entered the water. And this pictures what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Whether it's in the first century or any century we live in, these godless, truthless world and this world around, uh, along with the flesh and the devil produce a current that seeks to pull us away gradually but powerfully from the gospel we've heard. And to drift away, we don't have to, uh, to actively b- betray Jesus or verbally renounce our faith simply by not paying attention, by doing nothing, by just uh, floating along, we can easily be drawn far from where we once were. So if, if, if we don't pay attention to the gospel, we're at risk of drifting away from the gospel. How far? Is the author speaking of just a small drift from the gospel, or is he speaking of a complete drift? Well, even though uh, we'll find both today and next week, principles that apply to this uh, lesser drifting away that may occur in the life of any Christian. Uh, I thought of the song, Prone to Wander, Lord I Feel It, Prone to Leave the One I Love. We've all experienced that. However, in in the context of this book, it seems he's speaking of a, a complete drifting away from the message. The message they had heard and ultimately, gradually, rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to an important yet difficult question. What's the risk? How much danger are we in? Is it possible to drift completely away from the gospel and thus fall away from our faith in Christ? Now, this is not the last time we'll encounter this question in our study through Hebrews. Hebrews. Because the risk of drifting away, said in different ways, is is only the first of five similar warnings found in this letter. In fact, the book of Hebrews is not only a a letter extouting the supremacy of Christ, but it's a sermon on the theme, do not fall away from the supremacy of Christ. And so this should say something to all of us. The risk of drifting away is real. Now with that being said, I need to mention that even though the risk is real, This doesn't mean we cannot have security in our eternal salvation. We can have assurance of faith. Because the Bible clearly teaches eternal security of all believers in Jesus Christ. Let me give several verses to get this firmly established in our minds. Jesus said, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Those who receive the gift of eternal life will never be taken out of the hand of the Lord. They will never leave their relationship with Christ. And to the Romans, God through the apostle Paul promised, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see the progression. If God predestined you, if he called you, if he justified you, if God by his grace does a work of salvation in your life, he then promises it's a done deal. That, he promises that he will also glorify you. You will be glorified on that final day with Christ. Then down a few verses, Romans 8, 38 and 39, he adds, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? For those who trust in Christ, nothing will separate them from the love of God. And to the Corinthians, Paul wrote, Our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Lord who sustains us. Our eternal security is not, thank God, based on our ability to hold on to it, but on Christ's sustaining power, His work in our life. To the Philippians, Paul wrote, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If God has done a work of salvation in your life, you can be sure he will bring it to completion. He will bring you to glory. And finally, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The author of Hebrews, who, here in chapter 2, warns us not to drift away, also believes we can have full assurance of faith. So based on these and other New Testament verses, I, along with many, believe eternal security, assurance of faith in the loving arms of God is a true biblical doctrine. By God's loving power at work in our lives, we are secure in our salvation. If you're saved, you're saved. We cannot drift away to such an extent that we lose our salvation. Amen? Amen? Okay. But here's the problem. All of this applies only to the true believer. Scripture and experience is clear that not all who profess faith in Christ... Who claim, who say the words, I believe in Jesus, I've trusted in Christ, I've received Christ in my heart, I've prayed the prayer, I've walked the aisle. Not all of them are true believers. In Matthew 7, Jesus makes this profound statement. This needs to be preached in every church at one time, maybe regularly. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, and that will is trusting in Christ, by the way, living for Christ, giving your life to Christ. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Can you imagine? An infamous example of this would be Judas Iscariot. He walked with Jesus for three years. He called him Lord. He almost surely, like the other apostles, cast out demons and did other works in the name of the Lord. And apparently, the other disciples never suspected he was a fraud. Until that day, he betrayed the Lord. It's not always easy for us, who do not see the heart to spot the false believer. If you've been a Christian very long, you probably know people who at one time professed faith in and seemed to be walking with the Lord. But at some point, they drifted away from the true gospel. Some eventually fully rejected the message they had heard. When I was in college, I knew a young man who, upon graduation, joined the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ, now Crew. And he eventually became one of the pastors at a large church here in Riverside. But later, he completely rejected his faith. And for a time, even had an online blog filled with criticism of of Campus Crusade and Christianity in general. Now, based on my and others' understanding of Scripture, uh, like what we just read, both Judas Iscariot and this guy I knew in college and anyone who rejects Christ after professing salvation, didn't lose their salvation. They were never true believers. Depart from me, for I never knew you. And my suspicion is that that they never really knew Christ. They never really experienced assurance of faith. They put on a good act, but never truly believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never fully gave their lives to Christ. And therefore, they eventually outwardly drifted away from the message they had heard. Now, as I said, we'll return to this topic uh, throughout our study in Hebrews. But I don't want to leave any true believers in a state of non-assurance. And more importantly, any false believers in a state of assurance. False assurance of faith is deadly serious it will result in you being surprised on that final day with, when the Lord says to you, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Wait a minute. Look at what I... Depart from me, for I never knew you. So how do we know that our faith is real? Well, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, you must examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. It's, it's work, by the way. You know, it's not... Oh, it's not saying, uh, are you true? Yeah, remember, I, walked, I was seven and I walked the aisle. That, that's not what he says. He doesn't say, uh, remember, if you said these words, if you prayed this prayer, you're good to go. He says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. And through honest examination, you can come to assurance or non-assurance. And how do we examine ourselves? How do we prove to ourselves, forget the people around us, that our faith is real? Because we can be very self-deceived. Well, here's the deal. The Bible teaches that true faith is revealed to ourselves and to others by its perseverance and its fruit. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever remains in me, whoever perseveres and does not drift away from me... And I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. True faith in Christ is revealed by two things. First, it's perseverance. By abiding in Christ, by steadfastly holding to the message that you've heard. The gospel of Jesus Christ remaining in relationship, this relationship of trust and obedience with Christ. And second... True faith is, in Christ is revealed by what it produces by its fruit. Does your life show you're in relationship with Christ? Do people understand? Do they believe you're in relationship with Christ? Does your life to yourself say you're in re- relationship with Christ? Do you produce the fruit of the Spirit? Is your life growing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self control? I'm not saying you're perfect in all those things. Is is there a growth in your life? Are these things you desire? Are these things you seek after? Are these things you call upon the Lord to give you in your life? Are these things that the Spirit is working in your life? And notice a lot of them are internal. I mean, you can look good on the outside. You can seem faithful. You can be self-controlled when people are around. You can act lovingly. But you know you know more than anyone, are these really what I'm experiencing, or is this just an act I'm putting on? So, here's the test of true faith. If your faith in Christ both perseveres and produces the fruit of the Spirit, then you can have assurance. Otherwise, you cannot. We find a similar test uh, faith in 2 Peter. Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Well, why do I have to confirm it? I, I have it. Nope. You need, you need to examine it. You need to confirm it. And if you remember from our study through 2 Peter, some of you were with us, you will know that, that you confirm your calling and election, you know your faith is real, and notice the similarity here to the fruit of the Spirit, by your ability by your ability that you have no ability to do unless the Spirit lives in you to practice the qualities of virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. That's what Peter says. That's how you confirm your calling. Does your life exemplify these things? So security, assurance comes as we examine our faith. Seeing that we continue to abide, persevere in Christ, and bear fruit, security comes as we confirm our calling and election through practicing the qualities that reveal that Christ is in our lives. So ask yourself, am I growing in my ability to trust and obey Christ, to overcome sin, to produce fruit, Am I growing in my knowledge of God, my relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Am I growing in my love for God? And am I growing in my love for other people? If the answers are yes, again, not I'm perfect in these things, but are you growing? Is this what you desire? Do you sense God's Spirit moving you in that direction? Then you can have assurance that your faith in Jesus Christ is real and that your eternal life is secure in Him. But if the answer is no, if you find yourself drifting away from the gospel, which is more than what you say, it's more than what you think you believe, it includes persevering and bearing fruit. If you're drifting away from those things, then please do not continue with some kind of false assurance. Today, before you leave this place, go to God. Confess that you need to give your life completely, fully to Him. No holding back. No turning back. You need to put your faith in Christ. You need to become a true believer. You need to stop drifting and return to the message you've heard. And even for those of us who answered maybe yes to those questions, by God's grace... Examine our lives. We also should continue to examine our lives. We need to find that perseverance and fruit. And if we find it, we do not in pride say that we're not, I'm not at risk of drifting away. Notice something uh, I didn't point out earlier, but notice in the, can we put the first verse back up? Verse one, is it up there? I can't see what's up there. Caitlin, Sorry. She was napping, just kidding. Uh, Notice this, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. The author of Hebrews, author of Scripture, he's speaking in the first person, excuse me, third person plural. Is that right, English people? All right, I'm a math guy, sorry. Third person plural, he's including himself in this. He's not prideful. He's not saying, no way, me. He's not saying, you. He's saying, we. If you're truly a child of God, you may not be at risk of drifting fully away from the gospel, but even a small drift can be damaging to your relationship with God and to your witness to the world. Therefore, we must all persevere. We must paddle against the current. We must, by the power of God's Spirit at work within us, not allow ourselves to drift away. And how do we do that? That's our second and today final point. Only two. The remedy for drifting away. We've touched on this already, but let's make it clear. The author of Hebrews, knowing that his readers are at risk of drifting away from the true gospel, he gives this command. Therefore, we must, emphasis must, pay much, must, much. You know, I think he's trying to say something here. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. And as we've seen, what we've heard is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of salvation through God's superior Son, so the remedy for not drifting away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ is to pay attention to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And whether we're talking about a complete drifting away uh, from the faith or just some kind of partial for a time, what, what, what's the word we like to use? Backsliding? I don't know if I like that word. Anyway, I think you, sometimes you keep sliding. Anyway. If it's the complete drift or the partial drift uh, into some kind of false belief, the remedy is the same. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. We must pay attention to the Word of God, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if I were to say to you, David, I just saw you there. Sorry, No, sorry. Brian, Olivia, you need to mentally focus... Yeah, excuse me, you need to pay attention to what I'm about to say. Okay, heads go up, you know, I'm, I'm zoned in. Pay attention, focus, mentally focus with the purpose of gaining understanding. I need to understand what he's saying. However, the Greek word translated pay attention here in, Hebrew, in Hebrews uh, includes but goes beyond just mental focus and understanding. It's the word prosecco. And it's another nautical term here. Maybe this author, remember we talked, maybe he's a sailor, I don't know. Prosecco, it was used to refer to holding a course or securing an anchor. There's a risk, the writer argues, uh, uh, and there's also a remedy. To avoid drifting off course, you must hold the wheel of the ship steady. And or to avoid slipping out with the current, you must drop the anchor. So when the author says to pay attention, he's not just talking about a mere mental exercise. He's also directing his readers to act based on what they're paying attention to. Drifting away happens on its own, without much effort at all. Well, without any effort, by the way. But paying attention, staying the course is quite the opposite. It requires constant diligence. Back to the floating on the boogie board illustration. Can you picture it? The long flowing, bl- just kidding, drifting away. I'm drifting away from where I entered the water. That was no problem, took no effort. But if I wanted to stay close to where I entered, to where my towel was, I had to work at it, I had to pay attention. Where, did, where am I at? Where did those other guys go? And I had to stay the course, and I had to paddle against the current. And in a similar way, if we want to remain in the truth of the gospel, we have to pay attention. We have to stay the course of the gospel. We have to drop our anchor and remain steadfast, holding to the truth of God's Word. And we must work against the currents seeking to drag us away from the gospel. There are currents in our world seeking to take us away from Jesus, to take us away from His Word, currents of godless, our godless, truthless culture, currents of the world, the flesh, and the devil. To combat these powerful currents, we must pay much closer attention to God's Word to the gospel of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis understood this when he wrote, we have to be continually reminded of what we believe. We'll forget. Remember when we were in Peter, he was reminded, this was a, the whole book of Peter was a reminder. These guys had already heard this stuff. He's reminded them. Lewis goes on, neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in your mind. It must be fed. And as a matter of fact, if you examined a hundred people who've lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? Now, what I'm about to say might seem counterintuitive, but continuing in faith requires hard work. Paul writes, fight the good fight of faith. Throughout his writings, Paul says of his faith, I press on, I follow after, I strive. Also, the New Testament describes the life of faith as a race. You need endurance, and like a farmer who labors in his field. Now, let me be clear. When it comes to our initial salvation, our justification through faith in Jesus Christ, there is no place for our works. We receive forgiveness from our sins, not by our work, but by Christ's finished work on the cross. Faith is first, essentially, passive. We do not act, but we receive, resting upon Christ's saving action on our behalf. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, most famous Verse, you ever quote to someone you're witnessing to, someone you want to come to Christ, Ephesians 2.8.9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so this is counter to all other religions ever. They're the opposite. You work to receive salvation. Christianity is you're saved by grace through faith. But when it comes to living out our salvation, what is called uh, sanctification, that is progressively in this life, growing to become more like Christ, this is extremely active, not passive at all. We see this by, by what Paul says in the next verse, which we happen to never turn to. We just stop at nine. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Very active. The outcome of our salvation by grace through faith alone is a life in Christ Jesus doing good works that God has prepared for us. And by good works, we're talking about walking, living, trust, obedience to God, persevering and bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Martin Lloyd Jones explains it well. In the matter of our righteousness and justification, we can never say too often that we do nothing. We can do nothing. It's entirely the work of Christ, but once we're saved and given this new life, then the progressive work of sanctification does not call for pass, pass, pass passivity. Okay doesn't call for laying around and being lazy. Thanks. And we're exhorted to activity. And just to be clear, activity, the good works that God has prepared for us, is not an optional part of the Christian life. Oh, I'll take the salvation by grace through faith. Love it. But I'll pass on those good works. I really don't have the time. I'm busy. I don't know watching TV, I don't know, what, whatever you're busy doing. This is not possible. It's a package deal. Those who are saved by Christ are then transformed by Christ. They are, as Paul says to the Corinthians 5.17 or around there, new creatures in Christ and as such will do good works in Christ. But it's those who think they can receive Christ's grace by faith and not do the works that He's prepared for them that will surely drift away. They will eventually prove that their faith is not genuine. For as James says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Or in our context, we could say drifting faith is dead faith. So paying attention to the message we've heard means that we must concentrate on and live based on the Word of God. We must both believe and then strive to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the remedy for not drifting away from the message that we've heard, and ultimately not drifting away from what the message reveals, and that is relationship with Christ. And this really makes perfect sense, if you, if you care to think about it. A husband, in general... This is like a proverb, you know, proverbs are general statements. A husband will not drift away from his wife if he pays close attention to her, spending time with her, getting to know her more, loving her, and serving her. And a Christian will not drift away from God if he pays close attention to, spends time with, gets to know, love, and serve the Lord. How can we drift away from what we continually fill our lives with? what we focus our life on. I mean, if you're not focusing your life on the Lord, you're not even notice you're drifting away because nothing's going to be different. If your life is focused around the Lord, the things of the Lord, and you start drifting away, wait, things are different now. So what does this paying attention look like? Well, let me summarize. We must pay attention to our thoughts and our actions. You need to organize our thoughts around the Bible's message, not the messages of our culture. We need to remember that humanity, of which our culture is filled with, has fallen. It's given into sin and corruption, and remain and that and that and that residue of that remains with us. We still are prone to wander. We need to pay attention to that, to know that, to notice. Oh, wait, I'm getting off course a little bit here. Get back. We need to pay attention to our lives, noting and correcting when they do not line up with the Word of God. And uh, let me get to the punchline. I mean, I'm not done, but uh, you can't know your life is lining up with the Word of God if you don't know the Word of God. Okay. Also, we need to recall what the Bible teaches about God's character, who God is, His nature, that He is righteous and faithful and powerful and wise and loving, etc., etc. We need to pay attention to His holiness. We need to understand what an offense our sin is to Him. We need to, on a regular, if not continual basis, confess our sin and receive forgiveness from the Lord. Keep short accounts with the Lord. Never drift too far away. You know, sometimes we get into a sin and we're, we don't want to go to the Lord. You know, we're embarrassed. He's going to smack us. Well, that is not who He is. He, he wants you to come to Him. Confess. So you can get back on course. We do this also by paying close attention to the cross. At the cross, we see God's mercy wonderfully wondrously displayed we see that that we've been purchased and made into uh, new people holy people by christ and then we we need to pay close attention to that new person who we are in christ our identity in christ You need to know, you need to remember, you need to pay attention to the fact that by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for you, He paid for your sin and He gives you salvation. That in Christ, you've been adopted into the family of God. You are now a child of God. Beloved child of God. You need to know, pay attention that that in Christ and with His power at work in our lives, we who were exiles... Or, excuse me, we are exiles. Living in this dying world can live in obedience to God and grow in our relationship with Him. Not because we're awesome, but because we're in Christ. And Christ empowers us. And finally, we must pay attention to the fact that we are joint heirs with Jesus. And therefore, we are secure in our eternal inheritance. So basically... We need to pay closer attention to the message of God's Word. To the revelation of God to us. To the revelation of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Word of God is like an anchor to hold us fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Word of God uh, dwelt upon, read, studied, meditated on, memorized, and applied is like an anchor to hold us fast to Jesus and it's like a compass to guide us safely through this world. This is the principle emphasized by Jesus himself. In John chapter 8 we read, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If it's when we abide same word in the other John passage he used. Abiding in Him, abiding in His Word, remaining, holding steadfast to the Word of God. When we do that, we prove that we are Christ's disciples. We gain assurance of faith, right? And that's when we know the truth. And that's when we're set free. Set free not to drift away, by the way, but to live a life based on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of God's Word. Donald Gray Barnhouse sums up this message in words that are uh, pointed, but I believe true. It is the Word of God that can establish the Christian and give him strength to overcome the old forces and to live the new. It can never be done in any other way. You cannot find even one Christian on this earth who has developed into... Developed into strength of wisdom and witness in the Lord who has attained it by any other means than study and meditation in the Word of God. Barnhouse didn't do a survey of every Christian. He's just, this is what what it takes, and he knows that. If we want to avoid drifting away, and we must, if we want to hold fast to Christ and grow in our faith, which I pray we do, We must become people of the book, the Bible. For in the Bible, we've been given the revelation of God. We've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an amazing gift this is. We've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Therefore, paying careful attention to the message, focusing on it, living by it all the days of our lives is the remedy for drifting away. So in the first verse, verse, of Hebrews chapter 2, we've seen both the risk and the remedy to drifting away from the message we've heard. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this week, as you leave this place after you eat and after we have our family forum, I would encourage you to examine your faith to assess your risk for drifting away from the gospel, and to, in every possible way, pay much closer attention to the message you've heard, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me to that end? Father, I thank you for this word. Thank you for this warning. Father, I pray as, uh, as your word went out, not, not my words, superfluous as many of them are, uh, as your word went out and penetrated hearts, You're giving assurance and maybe even taking it away where necessary, Father. I pray that you would continue to work in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us, encourage us as we do what you've uh, told us, pay much closer attention to the message we've heard. You would then, by your power, enable us to not drift away, to paddle hard against the current, that's seeking to pull us away from jesus to pull us away from his gospel father we ask for your grace for your love for your mercy in our lives that we may remain close to you in christ's name amen, amen. Uh, brian's going to come and if the ushers want to come forward and going to lead in communion
1: today we remember the importance of god's word Uh, Staying on the path, not departing, not going away or drifting away from God's Word, but how essential it is to the Christian life and staying on His path. God's Word teaches us that His path leads to goodness. It leads to light, and of course, it leads to life. The Word tells us of the simplicity and yet the complexity of God's great love for us. Right now, we are going to remember this and celebrate it through a time of communion. And if you don't know, and if you haven't taken communion before, communion is this, a genuine and intimate time of fellowship where we remember what Christ did for us on the cross. That he destroyed sin and he defeated death. That there is new life because of him and he allows us to have a personal relationship with him. So at this time, I invite the worship team to lead us in a time of singing, and at the same time, I also invite our ushers to pass out our elements.